Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. I speak today to Brandon Monroe, uranium market commentator, and also CEO of Bannerman Resources and SX Uranium Junior with assets in Namibia. We talk about supply fundamentals today. What are the things that are happening in the marketplace uh, which are going to affect our investment decisions now in the next six months. Uh, what's Cameco and Kazatomprom up to? And for our Crux Investor Club members, we also discuss some issues around environmental uh, licensing and the types of things which companies are facing problems with. It comes out of a conversation with uh, a group a couple of weeks ago about the difference between getting uh, permitting done in Canada versus Australia versus Africa. I hope you enjoy that and do enjoy this podcast. Hello, Brandon. How are you, sir? I'm really well. I've had a really nice week. What about you, Matt? I've had a really nice week too, but you've had a very busy week as well as having a nice week. Um, You had had your, we did an interview and you obviously, you also announced your scoping study this week. So how did that go down? It's gone down well. It's obviously a process to educate a market about any new development with the company. So we're at the beginning of an educational process here, and that's going to require doing things like the interview that we did, which has gone down really well, had some really great feedback there. So um, everyone appreciated that they were tough questions, and I think you managed to get out in the open a lot of the things that investors would be wondering, and that's the real value of doing that exercise. Um, But, you know, we're on a call today, a conference call today. We're doing various other things, obviously all the one-on-one and the written stuff. And what's different here with the Bannermans of Tango 8 scoping studies, we've taken a large project, made it smaller. Most of the time, the market's used to a scoping study coming in a linear way after drilling. So here, we're presenting something of a choice to the market. They've actually got to evaluate one thing against another. Whereas normally you just put out a bunch of numbers and market decides good, bad, tick, cross, buy, sell, and so forth. So that's been interesting and will involve a lot more explanation going forward. Well, that's good. That's good. Okay, I don't want to make this a sort of Bannerman uh, conversation, but you know, congratulations on that move. I think you reacted well to, you know, market concerns of the size of the project and sort of reduced optionality. So this gives you a sort of clearer path to getting production earlier for less money and managed to maintain the economics as well. So, but, you know, we'll, let's come back to that another day. This is about helping people understand the macro around uranium. It's our weekly catch up. Um, and I want to come back today to our favorite country, uh, Kazakhstan. Okay, so Kazakhstan, home of Kazatomprom. Uh, it's, it's a kind of very polarizing uh, company. I think if you talk to people in the West, They've got some very negative views about that. Uh, if you, you know, if you talk to people in the industry, you know, I think they would agree that uh, it's a company which is trying to westernise the way that it approaches the marketplace. But as, as a big player, it, it's going to be it's going to be tough uh, for them to s- satisfy and satiate everyone. So um, they had an earnings call this week. Um, what was your, what was your take, or some of the things that came out of that? And then, I, if you don't mind, I want to kind of drill into a bit of other other information. Well, I think the most important thing to come out of the earnings uh, release, uh, the, the call comes in a few weeks' time. The most important thing to come out of the earnings release is that they've maintained their plan to recommence wellhead development during the, the month of August. 
So there was a bit of speculation about that because since they originally announced that plan four weeks ago, the Kazakh government has extended twice the lockdown measures and there seems to be no end in sight for getting COVID under control in the country. So their plan is that they want to mobilise all of their workforce and they've continued to emphasise that it will be a gradual project, of course, a process. Of course, it is subject to the uh, requirements of safety for their employees, their families, their communities and so on. So that's the first thing that came out of it. A couple of other interesting things coming out of it. Uh, the market has certainly um, got taken note of the fact that they acknowledged for the first time publicly that they have been buying in the spot market. Now, this is something that isn't unexpected at all. Uh, CEO Permatov has given two interviews. The most recent was released on about the 10th of July, saying that they are reserving their position on spot market buying and then he basically flagged that for the market. But what I found interesting is that the earnings release indicates that they entered the spot market at the end of the quarter. So even in June, they were buying in the spot market. Very interesting because it's they still wouldn't have had to need to run down their inventories to any great extent. They are just choosing to buy in the spot market, which tells you, I think, quite a lot about where their concerns are about the market from here. And then there were a couple of other ditties in there as well. Uh, their production for the first half hasn't been materially affected. Now, that's something that we expected, given that we've been talking about the lag effect with the production disruption and the way that ISR mines operate. And they also gave a bit more clarity as to how long that lag effect is, confirming that it is four to up to nine months, which I found interesting. I, we knew that it was four, five, six, but to say that it's up to nine months clearly is signposting that this disruption is going to go well into 2021. For sure, for sure, for sure. And I, let's let's talk about some of those supply components components because the inbound questions that we get asked uh, every day of the week, people are trying to understand how do they time this. How do they um, time um, buying? When should they come into the market? You know, where should they be looking, etc. But specific to Kazatomprom, uh, you know, people don't necessarily trust Kazatomprom because they have had a track record of, you know, over-delivering in the market when they said they wouldn't be. And I think there's this kind of adversarial um, type conversation going on from companies in North America. So it, it, it's a very difficult environment um, for them at the moment to operate. Um, but let's look at some of the components which affect supply, which may inform investors as to maybe where and when they should be looking. So first of all, um, we talked about bringing um, their employees back in a safe and measured way. Okay, I think that's important. Uh, you've got 20 plus 20,000 employees across the country to try and do that in a safe way. We saw what happened in Victoria, you know, in your, in your country. We've had, a, you know, an outbreak caused by one, you know, set of bad decision making there. And it's caused all sorts of problems, right? So let's talk about the process of getting 20,000 people back to work and up to speed um, and, you know, fully optimized. I mean, any idea on timing of that? I mean, how long does that take? Um, you, know, you know, could they possibly see the sorts of problems that Victoria has seen? 
I think it's a big challenge. I really do. You know, and the thing is, it's not it's not the challenge that Cameco faces where they need to move a thousand employees and contractors back into one place. This is very different because it's a distributed uh, industry. It's all of the Kazakh mines that we're talking about. And as you say, there's about 20,000 people who each need to go in various different directions. It's not clear for them how road travel is going to operate amongst the, uh, the COVID restrictions that are still in place in Kazakhstan. And for someone who wants to get just a little bit of a feel as to what is required at a mine site level to deal with this, uh, the Cameco call that we had on the 29th of July, um, they articulated, they had their uh, senior people on the call who articulated a long list of the steps that they're taking to ensure people's safety. So that's not business as usual. It takes a long time to adapt. You have to train people to do all of these different things. So time frame, they are saying, and they said in the earnings release that they want to have everyone back at work by the end of the month, end of August. So we're, we're a week into that already and it'll be really interesting to see how they're going with that. Uh, I think it's a different thing to have people back at work and, having, and to have people operating effectively. And that's where a lot of the language around doing things in a staged and measured way, I think that's where it becomes important. If we, I don't know if they're paying people to stay at home at the moment, but we did hear from Cameco that they are. Everyone on, at Cigar Lake is still on full pay. So it doesn't really make that much difference to Kazadam Prom if that's the case, to have people turning up for work versus turning up for work and being productive. So the measure, the, uh, the observable measure here, which is everyone's back at work, won't give us too many clues as to the level of productivity we can expect from that. Okay, so, so I think that's one really important to note. Being at work and being effective, 100% effective, are two different things, right? Um, because, you know, there's, there's a, com- a company which um, produces 24%, it says on its PowerPoint, 24% of the world's uranium, and they and their partners altogether control 40% of the of the uranium. So it's a, it's a big company, can make a big impact into the supply story. So there's possibly a lag there. And you've also talked about wellhead development lag so let's 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 get into that. Maybe it might be worth explaining what is the process of uh, in terms of you know the wellhead development required. Um, we're coming up to winter. What are the impacts there, and what's the implications of this delay for next year? So, as we've talked about, the way an in situ recovery mine works is wellhead development means you're drilling wells into the ore body. In a very simple five-well configuration, you imagine on the corners, you've got injection wells. So on each corner, you inject acid into the ore body, and then in the middle of it, you've got an extraction well. So you acidify the well, pump the acid into the hydrological permeable ore body, and then you suck it out in the middle. So first thing to understand for people new to this is that the wellhead development that was undertaken before the suspension in April is continuing to produce uranium. In other words, the drilling and the acidification uh, continues to allow that uh, solution to be pumped up to the surface through the extraction well, put through the plant, 
the uranium extracted uh, robotically put into drums and away we go. They did maintain those staffing levels so that all of the ore bodies could continue to produce from already acidified material. Now, equally, and this is the time lag that Kazadamprom referred to, from day zero when they send their teams back out, figure out which well was drilled last and which one's to be drilled next and off they go, it's a significant lag. And the lag can be between four and nine months. So we're going to see that lag operating in two ways. The first way is if you say that four months from the initial disruption, there's been very little impact on the number of pounds that are being put in the can at the mine. We've only just started to feel that impact in the market because it was 7 April that that was announced. And here we are sitting at um, beginning of August, the first week of August. So that disruption is only starting now in a pounds in the can sense. And no matter what Kazadamprom do in August or September or October for that matter, that disruption will continue. It will only be once the August, September wellhead development starts to acidify and impact that we'll see production start to tick up again which puts really all of it into 2021. So numbers, they did confirm their guidance. So way back in April, because Adam Prom said we expect to lose about 10.4 million pounds from total production, not just attributable production in Kazakhstan. And when they announced that they would be trying to bring people back in August, they didn't change that guidance. So what that tells me is that the additional pain from the extension of this disruption is all going to be pushed into 2021. In other words, the three-month initial estimated period of disruption will only affect that tail or that lag will go until December and the extension of that, which looks like it's going to be the best part of two months when you consider what we've been talking about, is going to go into 2021. So clearly we're going to have those numbers affected as well. And if you take the outer bar uh, band of that, which is nine months, that means that some of these mines will be on a reduced production basis all the way out into the end of May 2021. So there is substantial production disruption coming into 2021 numbers as well. Absolutely. And um, is, does winter have an impact in Kazakhstan? I mean, I've been there in winter and it's pretty darn cold, but can they still continue to mine? Yeah, well, we are on the steps there. So it's a, you know, minus 30, minus 40, not uncommon at all. And they can still drill. So you can do conventional exploration drilling out there. You can do wellhead uh, development drilling. Um, it can slow things down, of course, like any um, difficult climatic conditions. But the key here is when it's that cold, they don't acidify. So they might be able to get the wellhead configuration in place but if they don't time it right, they'll need to wait until the thaw before they can put the acid down and have the acid starting to acidify the well and get the hydrology moving along. Um, the, the thing that a lot of people don't really understand with ISR is it's not primarily about grade, it's about hydrology. Uh, you can have an ISR ore body and its grade can be great, its grade can be average, 
But the most important thing is how permeable it is, because if you've got issues with the permeability of an ore body, uh, then grade becomes very secondary. So for investors who are very much locked in on conventional open pit or underground mining where grade is king, you need to think in a different way with ISR. And that's why getting the timing right for acidification becomes very important for them. Yeah, okay. I think that's a great point. We've heard that question a lot uh, from people. Okay, so we, we're, we're dealing with supply. So we've talked about getting people back to work and being effective, how it impacts supply. We talked about wellhead development and you know some of the barriers there affecting supply. The other thing which has been happening, and you did touch upon it earlier, is that Kazatomprom have been in the spot market, as has Kamako, uh, mopping up spare inventory. Now that also affects supply. So given what you just said about wellhead development, given what we know about the, the, the demand in the marketplace, how is Kazatomprom you know, mopping up this inventory going to help with spot price, price discovery? Well, I think it's going to accelerate that process. Um, first of all, it will, together with Cameco, the action of the producers purchasing in the market will unlock any remaining free material, any remaining mobile inventory, either held by traders or financial players or utilities if they've got anything excess that they think that they want to sell. So there, there's a myth out there in the uranium sector that there are large volumes of mobile inventory. Um, there are lo- large volumes of inventory because that's the way the industry has always operated. Uh, you don't do just-in-time delivery if you've got a $5 billion nuclear reactors sitting there that needs to produce power 24-7. So inventory is a part of this sector, but it sometimes gets misrepresented as being we are sloshing and wading through inventory that's available in every last little corner. Um, Maybe that was true to a degree a few years ago, but it's certainly been tightened up now. And that's what I'm most interested in learning here. Um, We saw from the Cameco call on the 29th of July that they haven't found it easy to find their inventory. Um, Every reference to uh, people selling pounds to them had an air of gratitude to it in the way that it was presented. And that's now the question for Cameco. Will they also find it challenging to access that inventory? Where will they go for it? And and back to a comment that you made a few questions ago about trust. I, I certainly take what you're saying. There is a lot of uh, challenge that Cameco's got on a trust front, but I don't think it's their own um, doing. Uh, I mean, the last several, well, let's say the last few years, they've been very consistent on their their big calls. So I think you can take what they say at face value. They said that they don't sell into spot anymore. That was treated with a lot of suspicion and cynicism, but that's been the case. They haven't sold into spot for the last couple of years, and they and they still don't sell into spot. Um, other, uh, they stopped selling to the traders. That was also um, taken with uh, a fair bit of scepticism, but it is in fact the case. So we can take what they're saying on face value, I believe. And in this case, they're saying things on face value, like, for example, um, there won't be the opportunity to catch up production in 2020 or 2021. So again, not only are they going to be running at their 20% production uh, discount that they announced a couple of years ago, but they will be losing production <clears throat> without any capacity to catch it up. 
Okay. And we heard from Kamiko about the restart, you know, which is over a week ago now. Um, you know, I think some people were speculating as to why they would do that. Why not hold on just a little bit longer? It should help drive the, the, the spot price up. Um, and, and people thought, well, perhaps they have been speaking to utilities. Perhaps they have got contracts at the sorts of levels which they require. Are you hearing anything in the market which suggests that might be the case? Yeah, and for people who watch this uh, series every week, um, you'll recall that one of the motivations that <clears throat> we thought was at play here was concerns by Cameco about what Kazadamprom would be doing and how safe their future access to pounds were over the next six months. And I think that that is exactly what's playing out here. Um, Cameco have got a very nuanced new view of the market, apart from being the biggest Western world player here. They operate conversion facilities. They operate storage facilities. They've got a trading division. Uh, they see a lot that other players in this market, including Kazadamprom, simply aren't able to see. So they've read the tea leaves, and I expect they've read them well. The first image in those tea leaves that we can see at the moment is that Kazadamprom have been buying in spot. The next image in those tea leaves that we understand is that there's this lag effect that's really going to hurt Kazadampom production. You know, in their own release, they use the word severe effect on their production. You know, for IR language, that is very, very strong. And you don't often see that. So Cameco are reading those tea leaves, and I do believe that they realise they're going to have to get their skates on to get Cigar Lake back into production because they can't run the risk of having no primary production and a big guerrilla competitor in the spot market, potentially, such as Kazadamprom. Okay, let's move into uh, the Cox Investor Club section of this, because there's some stuff I want to talk to you about um, where we're looking at frameworking and analysis and how you pick winners and how you understand uh, companies. And you know, I think over the next couple of weeks, we're going to address that. And we're going to start today with a topic which I think is extremely useful it's essential uh, and also has been brought up in conversations we've had with um, people operating in uh, Canada, uranium juniors in Canada. So let's uh, let's do that. So I'm going to say thank you very much to everyone to, who's been watching this series uh, with Brandon and I. Um, and uh, I hope you enjoyed what we talked about today. I think Kazan uh, Prom clearly a massive influence in the marketplace, some really critical, important points that are made today by Brandon about supply in the market. Um, we're now going to switch over to the Crooks Investor uh, Club section, where we're going to just get into the weeds a bit, and certainly around uh, analysis and um, you know part of the course series uh, that we talk about. So thank you, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.